Hello and welcome to the Endurance Town USA podcast, the state of mind destination where endurance athletes of all levels escape their daily grind and connect with their community. I'm Travis Ford, executive producer of the Endurance Town USA podcast, and today our host Samantha Pruitt and I travel down to Vandenberg Air Force Base to meet with Captain Angela Silverbush. If you don't know Angela, she currently works for the Air Force Space Command at Vandenberg and is an instructor for global space operations. She's a squadron physical training program manager and a legionnaire for the fitness companies first formed. She's completed a variety of sporting events, including two marathons where she won first in her group, two power lifting competitions and a first and second place finish in her bikini competition debut. A graduate from the United States Air Force Academy, Angela was deployed to the Middle East twice where she developed her commitment to fitness. Currently, Captain Silverbush is finishing her doctorate in behavioral health management at Arizona State and is very passionate about mental health and helping others, as you'll hear in the podcast. But most importantly, Angela refers to herself as the world's finest pizza connoisseur, and I can't disagree with her. She is committed to showing others that finding a balanced lifestyle is key. So now I'm going to hand it over to Sam and take it from here. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. So, How about yourself? I'm so stoked to be back on Vandenberg Air Force Base. I got a lot of friends here. I love this place. And in particular to meet you, Angela Silverbush, <laughs> <laughs> and learn about your story and tell our audience a little bit about your life because I think it's fascinating and you're still really young and who knows what's going to happen next. But stories like yours are incredibly inspirational to me to people who resonate with our brand. And so let's just kind of dig in as we hang out here sitting on the bleachers. Let's dig into who you are a little bit and if you don't mind starting with where you were born and where you grew up. All right, let's get started. Well, I was born in Carmichael, California, which is in Northern California, kind of close to Sacramento. And I was lucky enough to spend all 18 years of my life in the same home. We lived in Shingle Springs, California, which is a little bit closer to Lake Tahoe. Ooh, sweet. Actually in the country. Mm, so okay. people usually don't think of that when they yeah. think of California. I grew up with about five acres, goats and sheep, and now we have a llama wow. at our okay. property. A llama? A llama, mm -hmm. yes. His name is Fabio. Just had to oh, throw, throw awesome. that in there because everyone loves that part. Yeah. Um, so 18 years, same house. I have three younger siblings, so we had a pretty big family growing up. We were always really into sports. My dad and my mom placed us into sports. Right away. Every single one of us, right away. Soccer, basketball, softball, gymnastics, and it was kind of up to us to choose what we wanted to stick with eventually, but they gave us the opportunity to participate in all of those different extracurricular activities. Wear you out. Yes, to wear <laughs> us out. Oh, we were busy. My mom drove us everywhere all the time, and I mm. didn't realize back then mm. how amazing it was. What a gift. To have that opportunity to literally participate in all those activities. So super active family. And I just have to mention that uh, my dad actually coaches about a million teams in the community. Oh, nice. So he was always really into sports and was a great example in terms of being a coach, not only to us kids, but other children in the community as well. All different sports then? Mm -hmm. All different sports, but mainly soccer. Okay. The Silverbush mm -hmm. family is really big on soccer, and okay. all four of us did play growing up. So you went so. to school elementary all the way through high school in the same town, living same in the town, same house? Same house. That's so rare. I thought that was normal until no. I grew up and <laughs> experienced really the real world, and I realized <laughs> how lucky I was to, you know, have a stable home like that. Yeah. And uh, Where'd you go after high school? Well, I had the lovely idea that I wanted to join the Air Force. Mm hmm so I applied to the Air Force Academy, and I didn't actually know anything about it until my junior year of high school. I was really inspired based on my grandfather's possessions growing up. My grandfather died at a really young age, but he served as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. I never got the chance to meet him, but my dad always had his Air Force stuff. What was his name? Lieutenant Colonel Eddie Silverbush. Nice. And I have a story about him I'd like to tell about later. His stuff was all over the house, and I always looked at it, but I didn't know what any of it meant. I saw his medals, his decorations, his awards, and some, some photos, and we even have his old helmet. He flew wow. F-111s and F-101s for the Air Force before he passed away. Very cool. So that being said, I think that kind of was in the back of my head all growing up without even mm -hmm. recognizing it. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something different with my life. and. You know, my parents took us on the, the good old college campus tour, and I checked out everything along the coast of California. You know, UCSB, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, 
you see Santa Cruz and I didn't have that gut feeling that that was what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I ended up applying to the Air Force Academy, not knowing if I was actually going to get in or not. It's pretty hard to the get in. The application process was... It's brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. You know, and you have to have a well-rounded resume, and I didn't know if it was well-rounded enough. You know, I didn't really know anything about it. But somehow, I, ha- I got in early, early acceptance, and I'll never forget that day that the letter came in the mail. And I knew in my gut that that was what I was supposed to do, oh, which was awesome. scary when you when you actually recognize that feeling. Yeah. And my dad handed me the letter. He'd gotten the mail that day and we opened it together. Ah. And I just knew that my the rest of my life was gonna be completely different than, than I ever thought. And compared to most of my high school friends, you know, I was kind of taking a, a different path. I just wanted to do something different with my life. Yeah, well that's so, and I, <laughs> an understatement. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, Family was okay with this decision? Yes, they're they're very supportive. Okay, my sister's actually also in the military, which oh. is, and she also went to the academy after me. So wow. that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. But they were very supportive, and that really helped me get through some of the, the military components that I experienced. And yeah, so um, t- kind of take me through that a little bit, because a lot of us have no idea what that looks like. You're 18. I was 18. You get into the Air Force Academy, and you have got to go where? So and about when? a about a month after high school graduation. I shipped off to uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the Air Force Academy is. My father actually went with me to drop me off, which oh, was really cool. hard, by the way. It was cool that he went, but it also made it a little hard. bit worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still remember leaving my house and looking back over my shoulder and looking at my siblings, yeah. looking at me, and I didn't know if they understood at that time anything that I was doing with my life or the, the mm-hmm. choice I had made. They were pretty little at that time, mm-hmm. like 9, 11, and about 16 years old so who knows what they thought right but I knew that in a way they thought my sister's a badass is what they thought you know what I hope they think that now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I totally. hope they think that totally but I, I just in a way I kind of focus on the fact what I was doing was kind of inherently due to this passion to want to protect the country and mm-hmm. make sure they can continue to do whatever they want with their life right so mm-hmm. I kind of tied it into thinking about my siblings when I left so I showed up a month after high school graduation keep in mind I pretty much have no idea what I'm, I, I knew a little bit about the military, but virtually, you know, yeah. less, less than I probably should have at that time making that decision. But I showed up, checked in, gave my dad a hug and a kiss goodbye, and we kind of get in this line where you are about to get on this bus. Once every new cadet gets on that bus, they kind of take you to the Air Force Academy campus, and then that's when your basic training is initiated. It was about six to seven weeks okay. of training. So I showed up in civilian clothes. Mm-hmm. And then quickly when we arrived at the campus, Strip you start you down. Yep, you start getting into your uniform. Everything you had goes away and you're left with your toiletries basically. And you got your boots and your uniforms and that's it. Uh, that's pretty much it. They own you then, now. Yeah, they own me. <laughs> and then I remember thinking, What the heck have I just done with my life? <laughs> I could be enjoying my summer, right, with the rest of my uh, yeah, high yeah. school friends. But I always just kind of focus on that, the end goal, because usually things that are hard are completely worth it at the end. Absolutely. And the unknown was obviously pretty scary and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I do like a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm is part of the reason about why. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to get along really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a competitive freak, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to do something different. Yeah. And I knew that the Air Force Academy uh, was going to be rough, but I thought that Eventually, I would look back and know that it was worth it. Six weeks of basic training? Mm-hmm. So in the six weeks that you got stripped down from being who you knew yourself to be, this young girl who just graduated high school, young woman, into instant adulthood, and now I am the property of the military. The government, yeah. Yeah. Like, in the six-week cycle of basic training in particular, what was a highlight and a low light? Oof. I'd say I'll start with the highlights, or a highlight first. The relationships I made with those people that mm. I went through basic training with. Nothing were, like it. There's nothing like it. And since you're going through that hard stuff together, it forms that just amazing relationship that is, you can't compare it to anything else. So I had friends that I grew up with. We were friends for about 10, 12 years, right? But with these people in that six week time frame. I mean, I made friendships I knew would last yeah. literally forever, and I could go to them for anything ever. And it was just weird for me because I started to realize that I didn't have a lot in common with my 
friends from high school and everyone that I'd grown up with. So that part was a little bit rough. Recognizing my path was something different and it was a lot harder to relate, right? Mm -hmm. To those friends back then. And now mm -hmm. I had this new group. We're all dedicating ourselves to the country at the same time and going into something unknown. And that just forged this amazing relationship between me and all those um, cadets that were coming into the Air Force Academy. Yeah, you and know? you have to rely um, on each other too, right? Yes, yeah. to, to survive basic Strangers. training, you mm -hmm. have to support each other mm -hmm. to get through. Everyone, you know, yelling at you and doing physical training until you drop. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, one of the one of the low lights. I think before that time, I'd always participated in sports, but the goal was of basic training to break you down like completely and then build you back up physically and mentally. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there were sometimes I was extremely exhausted, right? Hardly any sleep. And they were just physical train us to the ground. And there was a couple moments where I was like uh, thinking to myself, why am I doing this? I'm not good enough for this. Mm. Do I even deserve to be in the military? Mm. What if I fail someday as a leader? So I don't think one specific moment, but the whole goal is to break you down, right? The accumulative so effect. I have never been broken down to that level before. Wow. That piece right there was probably the lowest because there's a lot of moments of doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Can I get through this? What am I doing? Am I going to be good enough to lead someday and be in charge of people's lives? I mean, I'm, I was 18 at the time, so I had had some... Just the thought, right? Right. Like at some point I will lead other humans and I will be responsible mm -hmm. for their lives. Never mind mine, right? Owning yeah, your own. Yeah, I wasn't even... I didn't <laughs> care about mine. I just cared yeah. about someday I would be making decisions that would affect people's and the whole, and, am I worthy? Like, can I do this? Right. And yeah, I had those thoughts all the time. And I'm sure everyone else in the basic training flight did too, based on what we were all experiencing. But now that it's over, I recognized why they did it. Are the people that have to drop out? Like they get yeah. to the dark side and they can't get back? There were, I believe we started off with around 30, 30 people in my specific flight and four or five end up dropping out, which is about the right percentage mm -hmm. but sometimes people show up and they realize you know the military is not for them you have to really find and concentrate on your reason because if you're doing it for anyone else it's not going to work mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to get through what the military demands right mm -hmm. so some of the people that showed up I'm assuming their parents were a pretty big influence on them and mm -hmm. they felt pressure from other entities to join and yeah. it didn't really come from inside. so you gotta want it you, you have to want it, want it for yeah yourself mm. without anyone else's influence wow so yeah. when you graduated that was a great day <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah. Well, wait a minute how long were you actually in the academy because i'm just talking about that's just basic training but you're, like, oh. you're in the academy for four years so it's like four a regular years. Uh, university college university experience well i shouldn't say regular no <laughs> i mean the time frame was pretty uh pretty regular but yeah four years wear the uniform every day go to class every day you pick a career path so how, who decides that? So everyone majors in something. And uh, based on your academic performance, your military performance, and your physical fitness performance, at the end of the four years, you're kind of racked and stacked against each other. At the end of the four years, you basically make a dream sheet okay. and make a list of, oh, I want to do this job, and these are my bases of preference. I made a dream sheet. At the time, I really wanted to be a pilot. I was all set on it. The guys came out from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio to do the waiver process. I'm, I'm pretty blind in my right eye. Mm. I'm also pretty short uh, to fly a lot of jets. Okay. Long story short, did not get my waiver approved. My dream of being a pilot like my grandfather was basically shot down about six months before graduation. Just by genetics. Just by genetics. <laughs> which, Damn this it. was the first time in my life someone has said, you, you can't, can't do, do this, this, and I couldn't just oh. work hard and fix it. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I tried cheating a little bit on the tests. Mm -hmm. I memorized eye charts. Mm -hmm. I was eating carrots like a like a damn crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was pretty frustrated. Eventually I knew at this point it was not going to be a part of my future. During that time, it was pretty rough. I was, I don't, I would say I was pretty depressed at that time. So close to graduation knowing that this goal that I'd worked towards um, for those three and a half years was kind of just poof, gone in a matter wow. of seconds uh, with these with this waiver process. After that, I uh, talked to my commander who was in charge of all the cadets on base and I, I was pretty distraught. I said, look, I don't know what I wanna do, mm -hmm. help me. Yeah. 
he happened to know someone stationed at Peterson Air Force Base who was looking for some brand new lieutenants to go into a squadron, and that was the uh, 4th Space Control Squadron in Colorado Springs. I actually went over, did an interview with them, talked with them, got an idea of what the mission was, and then I decided, sure, I'll go. St- I'll be a space operator. Okay. So I put space number one on my list, ended up getting it. <laughs> wow. And uh, the rest is kind of history. And I felt like that opportunity kind of came to me. It just happened to be that my commander, this other commander, and it was friends and the timing. And after that, I knew I was going to go into uh, space command and never looked back. Although I still, it still kind of bothers me a little bit. The fact that I'm not able to fly for the military mm-hmm. someday soon, hopefully, I do want to get my private pilot's license, and flying is something you're still I feel passionate so, about. I'm still very passionate about it. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so I still fly sometimes. I have a couple good friends that will take me up when they're in town, and uh, I get to fly still. But that's been that's been something I've been working through because mm-hmm. I felt like I dedicated so much to that for three and a half years. Absolutely. And then it just it wasn't in. I know it's not in the cards for me, and I'm meant to do something else. Mm-hmm. But accepting that, it's way easier to say that, right? Than accept it and keep moving forward. Yeah, it so. maybe was one of the driving forces for you even signing up to it actually commit was. your life to being in the Air Force, right? I, like ultimately, everybody. Yeah. I have a grandson who's in the Air Force right mm-hmm. now. Planes. It's the Air Force. There's a lot of divisions in the <laughs> yeah. military, right? So yes. you're like that usually is probably a big part of the goal set right there. Right. When I walk around and if I ever tell someone I'm in the Air Force, they always ask, oh, what, what plane do you fly? Ah, that's mm-hmm. the first question. I'm sure everyone else that's oh, What a 1% of the Force. Air Force flies a plane. But I know yeah. all my friends would agree with that. <laughs> there's I mean, a lot of other jobs. Yeah, there's a lot of other jobs <laughs> that are, that are also very important. Mm-hmm. But that's the one that most people just think of. It's the sexiest job, you know, oh, I get to fly Well, this. I mean, did you see Top Gun? I'm just saying. Oh, that's like, actually my favorite movie oh, of all time. Yes. <laughs> You're going to be the I female g- Top Gun. Yeah. You're like, um, that's me. I'm going. Mm-hmm. And uh, my truck's name is actually Maverick. No uh, way. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm the typical, that yeah, I awesome. watched that movie growing up a ton. I'd blast the Top Gun anthem as loud oh, as I yeah. could. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm the typical, I'm the typical one there. So, um, yeah, so I, now I work for Air Force Space Command and Although I'm not... You stayed in Colorado Springs then? I did okay. for the first three years. Mm-hmm. Did um, you go home at any point? I did uh, about twice a year when I could. Okay. I did deploy twice while I was at the 4th, so I was gone a lot. Where did you go? And uh, I went to Jordan, the okay. first deployment, and then uh, Qatar at Al-Yadid. How Al-Yadid old were Force you when you deployed the first time? I was... I had just turned 23. Mm-hmm. So you went to Jordan? What I was did. the assignment? I would tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, All right. But it might be basically, worth it. <laughs> it might be worth it. <laughs> but it was uh, basically electronic warfare. Okay. So I can't go into specifics, right. but yeah. what we did is protect comms over our guys on the ground, our special ops forces, when they'd go into a mission and kind of stop communications in the area, if you will. Mm-hmm. So. How long were you there? About five months. Okay. And then I got home. Back to Colorado Springs. Back to Colorado Springs, okay. and uh, was home for about four months, and then left again for, wow. for six months. So that Two. was a crazy time in my life. Where did you go then? Uh, Qatar, so okay. Al Udeid Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. That base has been there a lot longer, and it was more built up. There's actually a pool on base. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I tell you what, running in that 120 degree heat with humidity was a disaster. <laughs> so I want to ask about that because I found you and know you now as an athlete, as an amazing athlete, but were you always an athlete? To be honest, uh, athletics has always been kind of a form of therapy for me. Whenever I've been going through something difficult, just being able to focus on myself for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, be by myself with my thoughts, with my gangster rap music, which <laughs> nice. I do listen to at the gym. Uh-huh. Um, but I'd say like everything really started while I was at the academy. I'd always ran before that. My sister and my dad and I always participated in Run to Feed the Hungry every year at Sacramento on Thanksgiving morning. Together. So I had done 5Ks and 10Ks and it was fun, but I was never really like super serious about it. And I was always decent. I was a little better than average, but I was never at that level where it's you know, mm-hmm. shocking to people. At the academy, I kind of got into marathon running while I was a college student there. And that's when I really, really honed in on the running thing specifically. 
Did they coach you or you coached yourself? I did coach myself, <laughs> which now I realize is probably not the greatest idea. I just, you can find a lot of stuff on Google, right? And, yeah, but uh, it's YouTube cool and... that you, I mean, you're still this young person and you found the drive and the motivation to get the work done, to do it. Okay, because you're in the academy, so it's like being off at college, and you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of load on your shoulders already, and you're like, I should definitely train for a marathon right now. Like, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> Everyone needs an outlet, right? Totally. So, I, you know, totally. without doing drugs or drinking all the time, <laughs> yep. I figured running and getting that high was the next best, best thing for me uh, moving forward. Absolutely. But this will be a little bit hard to talk about, but so there was something that happened while I was at the academy that really uh, drove that initiation of me getting into long distance running. Around the 2012 time frame, I was a sophomore. I found myself unfortunately in a pretty abusive relationship. And I, I know that at military academies, you know, it's a, it's a different atmosphere. There's not very many women. There's a, there's a lot of males there, right? Mm -hmm. And it's pretty competitive overall, you know, across the genders. And I was in that abusive relationship and I was just Barely making it through, to be honest. School, you know, balancing the military aspect and school, and no one really knew at the time uh, what I was going through. I would always go down the gym and run on the treadmill for like three to five miles. And every time I ran, I just noticed how much better I felt after. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I feel like crap during most of those runs, but then afterwards is when I feel amazing. Mm -hmm. So then I had this idea in my head. I think it was more to prove my own self-worth through the running that I didn't deserve to be in that relationship and I could do anything that I wanted and couldn't be controlled. So I started running longer and longer and then I thought, okay, I'll try a, um, a half marathon first because I was kind of scared. I hadn't really gone past like the 6.2 10K mm -hmm. before. So I ran a half marathon and then at the end I felt good, but then I was like, I don't want to tell people I did a half marathon. Oh my God, like as if that's not an accomplishment. It's an amazing accomplishment. Well, Most of the population won't ever I, get to, but yeah, gotcha, I, gotcha. I do think it's a great accomplishment. It I is, just yeah. knew that I, I could personally push myself further. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that, that I had the mental capacity, I guess. So then I started training for a marathon. So I literally picked a random one. Well, I strategically picked a marathon at sea level because mm -hmm. I was training in Colorado Springs, nice. which is, you know, <laughs> it's way above sea level up there. So yeah, I thought it would edge help there. me out. And the rest is history. I just started training. I did, I worked my way up to 20 miles before the marathon and I flew down to Galveston, Texas for my first full marathon. Humidity. The humidity was bad. Yeah. And I was really nervous just because I had literally no idea what to expect. Mm -hmm. But... I got down there and I did it and you know along those 26.2 miles I I figured out a lot about myself that I didn't know before and there were so many moments during that run where I was doubting everything thinking to myself now why the hell did I even train for this mm -hmm. and then somehow I kept going I, I don't like quitting anything in my life which sometimes is a bad thing sometimes you do need to no let things to, go no, and stop no when to say when uh, but uh, I really hit the wall around mile 20 and I everyone had talked about mile 20 as, yeah you know the brick wall and I thought <laughs> it's I was coming I was like oh I'll be fine and then I literally hit mile 20 and I was like oh my I have a freaking 10k left <laughs> like are you are you kidding me right now mm -hmm. but somehow I finished the race and uh it was really awesome and I was actually first place in my age group which holy crap I did not so honestly I had no idea what time I was even shooting for I didn't time myself or set a pace I just kind of did what I thought was comfortable mm. And I ended up getting really close to qualifying uh, for the Boston Marathon. I was about three minutes off. And yeah. if I would have known yeah. that I could have even been that close, I maybe I... So stop in the Fortejon, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Or stopped a little, or not stopped as many times to grab that extra sip, right, of water. But yeah, I, I finished the race and I just bawled my eyes out because amidst, you know, the academy stuff, the abusive relationship, I found it within myself to finish a, a marathon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I called my parents right after and they were pretty stoked for me. It was just, it's transformational. And I don't think that people who haven't experienced it can know what the hell we're talking about. I mean, to be I mean, real, right? And I know there are other things, but like running specifically or endurance sports specifically, 
the long distance stuff changes who you are. It's different it's than different. going to the gym and picking up some weights. It's so different. Yeah. And then having the balls to like show up and then do That's the work. It. Nobody can do it for you. There's no right. team there. It's all you. It's like you two against legs, yourself. Your head. Literally. Mm-hmm. So you can't really blame it on, oh, someone passed me the ball. Right. No. You know, wrong or in the wrong spot. And it's mm-hmm. you and up to you to finish. And not knowing if you're going gonna to finish it. or not or mm-hmm. who knows. I mean, I thought I was going to, but that's because I'm just a competitive asshole. Um, But (laughs) I, you know, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I was like, I've never ran this much before, so. Yeah. You were used to suffering, but it was a different (laughs) kind of suffering. Yeah. At what point did you decide to leave this relationship and get the strength to get out of it? It was actually shortly after that. Okay. What happened in the commitment to that marathon and to your own personal journey that gave you the strength to stand up to another human being and say, enough, Done. I'm out. Realizing that who I was as Angela Silverbush was enough. So the marathon was great and it kind of proved to myself that I was capable of whatever I wanted to do, but just realizing I was enough as I was, marathon runner or not. Fast, I had slow, this, Yeah, crazy. fast, slow, qualifying, not qualifying. Gangster like, rap or not, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, just realizing I was enough with where I was at. I didn't have to prove myself to anyone or anything. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't that easy. I mean, I ended up confiding in my roommate at the time about what was happening, and she kind of helped me out. Mm-hmm. But I realized there's so much more to life mm-hmm. and happiness. But it did kind of help with my confidence a little bit because I knew I could get through something and suffer through something and still be okay at the end. Yeah. And the pain was only going to be temporary. Yeah. So well, and you learned like a whole nother level of strength and tenacity and resilience that you know was like the next layer. Right. You already had that, by the way, going into the academy and finishing all the things that you'd finished. But like you're, you were still a, you still are a young female, but you're, you were this young person, right? Like still figuring out the world. Hell, I'm still figuring out. I'm going to be fifty. I think but we you know all what I'm are saying? just like, oh, there's yeah. so much self-discovery that happens through sports and athletics and endurance and trial and tribulation and suffering. The funny thing is I didn't really think about that back then. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to like survive the run and do something to feel better mm-hmm. about myself. Well, even that relationship was pretty transformational for me. I just focused on the future and no girl or female should ever have to experience anything like that. No human. Ever. Mm-hmm. But it gets scary when you're wrapped up in it and you think that's it and you're in love, you know. You think you're in love and it's hard to walk away. But I knew that there's something better in life for me. And I hope that someday I could maybe share, share my story and help other people. You're Uh, doing it right now. (laughs) Yes. It's the beginning. I am doing it right now, which I've never (laughs) actually talked about this out loud in any kind of uh, public way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to go into details, but I just hope that even just speaking about it gives some people some courage to speak up when something's wrong. Exactly. um, And stand up for themselves. Because it de- definitely was not easy. I mean, it took about eight to ten months before I actually decided to do something about it. Mm-hmm. It's I, amazing how much power another human can have over somebody, over all of us. You know, like we've right. all been there in some respects. And some other, you know, with some people it's their parents. With some people it's a partner. With some people it's, you know, a boss or a stranger right. has that much power over them. You know, it's kind of mind-boggling. It is. Right? So did you decide at that point, post-marathon and post-abusive relationship, when you finally had your freedom to move forward, how did you know where to go next? What was, were you being called or was it just, what was the driving force? Well, I, I don't really think I knew exactly what I was doing next, but I was coming off that high from finishing that marathon and I, I decided to do another marathon. Okay. Um, around that same time frame. My one of my friends from high school passed away, and I wanted to do something to dedicate something to her in some capacity since I wasn't home and I felt so far away in Colorado. So I trained for another marathon, and when I did run it, I had a shirt on for her. Oh, that's cool. Um, celebrating her life. So that's I kind of dedicated that second one to her, and also. <laughs> My dad's going to laugh at this. He's a very, my dad's been a very big influence on my life. And he did one marathon and I always kind of wanted to one up him. So I knew I was going to at least do two in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was another driving factor for the second one. Just wanting to do another one, wanting to dedicate something to my friend. What was her name? 
Ashley Culver. Mm -hmm. So I wore my shirt representing her and the I did the Aspen Marathon in Colorado, which was Altitude. a lot harder than the uh, good old Texas Marathon. So yeah. I did not get as good a time as I did before. Mm -hmm. And I actually traveled up there with a friend who ran it with me, who was a lot better runner than me. But I still kind of, my goal was to never go above four hours. So I still kept it below my four hour mark. But let me tell you that Aspen Marathon is no joke. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was definitely not as close to qualifying for Boston on that one. Uh, for me to choose to do something that big, I have to like decide on my own time that I'm going to do it. Um, and I just kind of took a break and, you know, still kept running as usual, but I eventually started getting into lifting weights for the first time, by the way. I was, I grew up a soccer player okay. and pretty much all we did was run. Okay. So I was really comfortable with running, right? I played midfield and everything. When I got to my first unit as a brand new lieutenant, I noticed that pretty much everyone lifted weights, especially okay. all the guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I deployed that first time, I had a crew and everyone lifted weights except me. And I was also the only female on this deployment. There's about 22 of us that went out there and they would give me so much crap about being a cardio Barbie and out, Angela oh, was always out running. Classic, um, <laughs> classic. And they didn't understand that how much I enjoyed. I mean, it was a love-hate relationship, right? And it was kind of therapeutic for me. But uh, one of the guys on my crew ended up uh, showing me how to lift weights. That's awesome. And that kind of started my my new idea of eventually trying to do a bodybuilding um, competition. So I at first I just lifted for strength reasons. So I did something called a 500-pound club where you have three lifts and you have to get that addition or the three different lifts to add up to over 500 pounds to get the T-shirt and get what the 500 club. What are the lifts? Uh, a squat a bench and a deadlift. Okay. And th there's a couple other- Wait, you only three lifts and the accumulative weight of the three lifts has to be minimum of 500 pounds. Right. Holy and shit. for the guys, it was a thousand pounds or above. What? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so I'm going from literally, I have zero muscle. Like- Wow. Okay. I have muscles in my legs from all that running. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I started my uh, lifting weights journey. Okay. And I'm going to start with these 10 pounders. No, five pounders. <laughs> no, you forgot though. I'm a competitive freak and I'm stubborn too. So the fact that I didn't actually injure myself or pull something was shocking. Yeah. But I ended up hitting the 500 pounds. Wow. And then, uh, and this was on a deployment. It was on a deployment. Okay, so, so over a couple months, over a couple of months. Yeah. I trained for it and Dang. I was at the bottom of the toilet pool. You are an all or nothing human being. A little bit, huh? I'd say that 100% mm -hmm. or nothing. <laughs> I'm pretty intense and all my That's friends awesome. give me crap for it, but. Yep. No, it's beautiful. I, I, I used it. to be really embarrassed about that fact about myself. Oh my God, um, what? No way, because we people need more always, of you in the world, please. People would always make fun of me for being intense and caring way too much about everything. But no now way. I think it's Such just the asset. right amount. and Such an asset. I, I like that about myself now. And I know it mm -hmm. makes me a little bit different. And let me tell you, the highs are super high and no one can touch me. But when I do hit my lows in life, mm. mm -hmm. it uh, tears me apart. Mm -hmm. But I would rather have it that way. Yeah. Thing. So you stay, you were still running, you're on deployment, you start it. lifting weights, you, you make the 500 club, badass. Then you come back home to Colorado Springs, mm -hmm. you keep lifting weights. I kept on lifting weights. Okay. I liked that it made me feel strong. And yeah. I've, I kind of noticed, well, hopefully more recently, I. There was this expectation with females that you need to look, you know, thin and like completely ripped and yeah. whatever expectation based on social media. Perfect. And I think whatever slowly, is. yeah, I think mm -hmm. slowly but surely, uh, society has been more supportive of women looking strong. Yeah. And so I kind of liked myself looking a little bit stronger. And it was hard. Don't get me wrong. Going from like long distance running, you know, I put on some more weight and I looked just sturdier. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I've always struggled with my body image a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I played soccer. I got big uh, athletic thighs. And I never was like muscles. super ripped and thin, right? But I could run, outrun anyone. It's and awesome. I'll it's, take that any day of the week, seriously. It's more about yeah. what's inside than oh, yeah. how your body actually looks. And yeah. how you feel in your own skin. And it is, there is like a, it's not a coming of age thing, even though I'm going to be 50. So I'm having this kind of coming of age and you experience, look awesome. you know, yeah, like yeah. what does that look and feel like for me? But the cool thing, because I work and know women of all different ages, shapes and sizes and all that, 
whatever feels good in your skin, right? Like that's your skin. You got to own that. Right. And so if that means that crushing it in the gym or running around the track like this chick right now that just keeps lapping and lapping. I know. Us, I keep we watching her. She like, runs oh, back. Yeah, we keep looking at her. Like, we should be running right now. <laughs> Um, but it's our skin to own and it's our choice to define ourselves in that way, what's going to feel good. And then over time, which is cool too about your story and as I'm learning it, you've had these different points of using your body and being in your own skin that meant really different things. So you're exploring all these other things and I can't say enough about that for people like us to encourage other females of all different ages, shapes and sizes to explore what's out there. Right. right. You know, people always say, oh, I don't have the body type for this. What in the hell does I that mean? I do not agree with that. No way. And I've, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you know what, you know what I look like, but I've done long distance running, yeah. Yeah. heavy lifting, mm -hmm. uh, whatever. Yeah. Same here. And it's the more. The crazier, the better. All the things, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that, oh, I don't have the body type for that is really a yeah. good excuse. I'll um, tell you what you what requires is the mindset right so that's really what we're talking about here is like do you have the mind for it or not right and if you don't get your mind straight and then you can do it and and that you're proof of all of that all of that so you go from i'm gonna lift heavy weights crush these you know this 500 <laughs> club you come back you're still in colorado mm -hmm. springs mm -hmm. at what point are you transitioning over to vandenberg so i spent the first my first tour was three years along at peterson okay so in 2017, in June, is when I actually came to Vandenberg. Okay. What brought you here? Uh, I actually kind of got to choose. Mm. I had a great commander, uh, Colonel Fernangle. I have to give him a shout-out in this. Totally. Uh, who had my back, and I tried really hard at the my first job, and usually that's a good indication that your commander will kind of vouch for you and where you want to go next, right? Because mm -hmm. the military, it's kind of like you make a dream sheet, but the government ultimately owns you, so you do get a say, but you never really know what's yeah. actually going to happen next. You don't have control over much when you first get in as a young second lieutenant, but I knew I could control my physical fitness level, mm. and if I could at least annihilate them in any oh, that's awesome. <laughs> on a run. In a very nice, lifting. loving way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Tough love. But yeah. I knew I could control my fitness level, yeah. and if I showed them that I was dedicated to that and going above and beyond that maybe, just maybe, they would respect me a little bit more because I could control that part of what I could do, you know, because I was That's brand new. Leading I leading by example. So it wasn't like leadership want to annihilate you to demean <laughs> you and keep you in your place or show you, like, in some derogatory way. Yeah. It's just like, I um, deserve your respect. I'm a dedicated, hardcore-driven human being, just like you, irrelevant of sex and all the other shenanigans, right? Like, I'm just human doing the thing here and we're right. doing it together what happens when you land at Vandenberg what does it look like for you then I was getting into an instructing job believe it or not I actually was definitely afraid of public speaking before mm -hmm. and I I knew this job would really get me out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. and uh, I like to be on my feet I'm not good at sitting behind a desk and being on a computer mm -hmm. and so I this job would make sure I was up on my feet interacting with new young officers that I could maybe somehow uh, inspire potentially yeah. <laughs> along the way. is pretty scary moving out here, just moving your life, right? But luckily I grew up in Sacramento, so my family was about six hours away, which was crazy that I was actually back and that close to them, which is funny because I wanted to get as far away as possible in the beginning, and mm -hmm. then all I wanted to do was come back to California oh, and totally, yeah. be close to my family. But I got into an instructing job and that was pretty life-changing in itself. So I stand in front of about 12 students a day and teach about space, where our assets are, what they do, and why they're important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got rid of my public speaking fear pretty quickly yes. because I couldn't, I had to be confident, right? Because your yeah. students see you up there yeah. and you're the example. Yeah. And if you're not confident, they see that and they feel that and we're not gonna- Hell yeah, they do. Yeah, and, and we're not gonna make these confident officers by having instructors stand up there not looking like they're sure Sweating. of themselves. So it was a little bit of a fake it till you make it scenario for me, but then I eventually ended up feeling, you know, actual confidence. You saying. only get good at public speaking or speaking in a public, you know, environment, even like what we're doing now by practice, 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 you know? Right. And just literally like wanting to puke and sweating and all the things that happen. <laughs> but you that's the only way. It. It's the only way. I also recognize, which kind of ties into this opportunity, is being vulnerable was 
the students really appreciated me when I told stories and I was vulnerable in front of them and did not seem like some hero. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when I told them things I learned from deployments and struggles I had with being in a leadership role as a young officer. Mm -hmm. And I told them about the bad stuff too when I definitely made the wrong decisions, which was all the time, by the way. Mm -hmm. So when I told them stories and I was real with them about mistakes and I didn't try to seem like this perfect officer standing in front of them untouchable they really those were the teaching moments not when i was teaching them about what radar sees this and does this i mean those are great they need to know you know the basics of that but the real teaching moments didn't involve talking about space assets it was more of my stories and experiences you know from, from my first tour and what i learned that's when i knew they were definitely paying attention to me <laughs> when I told example, those stories. So Connecting, um, human connection. So you're in Vandenberg now, you're going to the gym throwing down still, or what were you doing? What, I was still did throwing. Did you keep your level of strength up? I did. Okay. Uh, still went to the gym and was throwing down. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, so after the first year of being at Vandenberg, I kind of, so I've always struggled with my uh, physical appearance. Okay. And... I got into the whole Instagram thing, was following these fitness people, and a lot of them were competitors for bodybuilding, and I'd always been interested in doing it. Um, Those six-packs are tempting. <laughs> I never actually had a six-pack. I mean, I looked like I was in shape, but not, you know, shredded, like they all like to say. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try doing a competition. And I was, I had put on some extra pounds, and I was just kind of uncomfortable with how I looked. and. As you've kind of gathered, I like to do things to the extreme. So I committed to this bikini competition. Oh, that and, would be uh, extreme. So we're not just bodybuilding. Now we're taking so, our clothes off. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I knew the pressure of getting on a stage in heels, in something tiny, would ensure that I would stick to my goal. So I'm not good at sticking with something <laughs> unless there's a specific goal at the end. Okay. Then I'm a lot better at, like, going after something full force. And that's just something I've noticed about myself. So I had some weight to lose and I found a trainer. Uh, her name is Jen up at Anytime Fitness in Santa Maria, which is about 15 minutes away from Vandenberg Air Force Base. And I sat down with her and I told her my goals and that I felt uncomfortable with how I was now and I was ready to try something different. Mm -hmm. So we talked about a diet plan and workout plan. Um, I had the, I had the workout thing honed in. I mm. didn't need any help with that part since I've you know, worked out my entire life. But to be honest, my Nutrition my diet was a bit sketch. Yes, I love pizza. <laughs> I I'd say I, I eat fairly healthy, but I do love to indulge and I had never actually tried to eat healthy for an extended period of time. And I knew that that was gonna be the hardest part. Okay. Controlling everything that I consumed. So that part was definitely the worst. Like people think that it's the working out. No, it's about you know, not mindless snacking and mm -hmm. uh, going out drinking. I miss out. I miss out on a lot of social events because I was focused on the school. Absolutely. Which made things weird for me socially. Um, I really figured out who my supportive friends were uh, during that time because some people didn't get it and would say, "Oh, just have this donut. Like no one's ever gonna notice and go off your plan or come out with us." just have one drink, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I stayed pretty strong the whole time and I tried not to indulge, even though I knew no, my trainer wouldn't know. She's not standing there over my shoulder. Well, really, you know, at the end of the day, who knows? You know. Yeah. Isn't that the bottom line? Yes. And it's I personal knew, integrity. Yeah. You had a goal. And I knew that every meal that I ate and everything that I put in my body was, uh, would tie into that day where I got to be on stage and have my moment up there. So I, I, once I thought about it that way, like, oh, I'd be in the worst moods, like eating sweet potatoes and chicken every freaking day. <laughs> but I, if I concentrated on this will make me look this way on stage and I'm only going to, I only committed to doing this one time. So I thought I might as well give it my best uh, shot. So it was about six months of straight. Okay. Um, I had, you know, the whole cheat meal thing once in a while, but I really focused on nutrition which was, which was rough, let me tell you. And uh, I have some different thoughts about the whole experience and bodybuilding in general. It was a great experience, don't get me wrong, but. You competed twice? I actually did once. Okay. Uh, one oh, you, completed, you went to one competition, yeah, but you sorry. placed twice, so in I two different I placed twice, yeah. There was like a, 
bikini short division and then an open division where okay. I was going against everyone no matter what your height. Oh, okay. So I fit, I placed first in the uh, short division. So I don't remember what the exact short height. as in short females <laughs> as in short females. I think okay. it was below like five six or five seven. Okay. And then there was an open division where it was everyone at the event was competing against each other. And you got second. I got second. Jesus. In that. So <laughs> that's unreal. I was shocked. Trust me. I honestly, I really wanted to go home with some hardware, right, to sure. prove that Bling, I did something. Baby. But I didn't go into it expecting anything because I didn't want to feel like I failed, mm -hmm. since I knew it was basically me against myself. Even trophy just or no trophy. showing the hell up and putting the bikini on is a freaking win. Unbelievable to me. So I'm the I'm most be modest person. I'm strapping a bikini on anytime oh. soon. So don't even think about it, lady, after we finish this. Oh, man. I'm the most modest person ever. And I remember putting on that, putting it on the day of the show. And I, even then when I was literally like, I was shredded as heck. And I looked, you know, mm -hmm. a lot different than I do now. I still felt uncomfortable, but I mm -hmm. wanted to go out there and do it anyway and so not awesome. let that six months of training like go to waste so oh also you're in heels by the way so no no that's so the whole you, you see you i'm out i'm out i'm out the bikini and the heels I this felt, is a horrible combination i'm not really me. that type of girl i mean i i like to dress up but uh being that exposed was not really my thing yeah so, but you did well and you surprised yourself what was the most surprising though? Like, honestly, what did you learn about yourself besides? Well, I definitely struggled after it was all said and done. It's been just over a year since I did compete. And yeah, when I first started eating normally after I struggled, like every time I had a normal meal, I would kind of look at myself in the mirror and I could, you know, see that I had put a little bit of weight back on because I had literally like starved myself to get stage ready. And I had many moments where I was just kind of lose a little bit and cry and think that I looked horrible and beat yourself up. I mean, it ha it went on for about six months after that. And I didn't really talk to anyone about it, but it was a struggle getting back up to a normal functioning weight mm -hmm. where I could like live my life and not count every single mm. macro or like, mm. I didn't want to measure my food anymore. I just kind of wanted to eat intuitively. So I tried to get into that, but it was, it was hard. Because I slowly saw myself get back up to a normal weight, like a, a normal weight. Healthy, a healthy individual. Yeah. Yeah, normal for you. Um, another part of it was uh, I struggled a lot medically after I had some issues with my thyroid because I had gotten down to that low weight and it just kind of messes with your entire hormones. system yeah, and my hormones. hormones. Yeah. It, <laughs> I'm still slightly in recovery from that last year, uh, mm -hmm. how to change some things around. I would rather ultimately you know, not look that way and be a little bit happier with my life. And I just, I'm, I get nervous for the young girls today that see these athletes in the abs and they think that that's how they need to look, you know, to look beautiful, if you will. And that's yeah. simply not it at all. Fitness as a whole is more of like about the entire journey, not yeah. just the ultimate destination, right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you don't realize what's happening during the journey. We all focus on, oh, that stage moment or when I cross the finish line for that marathon. But but I've kind of recognized over time that it's more about the journey actually getting there. And fitness is just a continual journey. Yes, and you're never like yes, done. Totally. And I still struggle every day. I mean, some days I get up and I think, heck no, I'm not working out today. Who I feel to like the crap gym? or I'm tired. or yeah. And then some days I feel like I just freaking kill it yeah. in the gym or mm -hmm. during a training session with the students at mm -hmm. the schoolhouse. But, oh, yeah, it's still a struggle for me and I'm still learning. But I trying all these different fitness events have really helped me figure out like what I'm capable of mentally. But well, the, athletically for you, what's next? Are you taking a sabbatical sort of like, so like everyday fitness is a thing, right? I do work out most days a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd say five or six. And, and you a... train, you do PT here. We're at the field right now. I yes. I'm probably going to do burpees when we're done. <laughs> um, you train other people. You are a coach also. Right. Yeah. I, uh, so fun. I'm the, in charge of fitness at the schoolhouse that I work at. So once a week, either me or one of my fellow colleagues will come out and train the students out here on the field, actually. How many cadets are we talking about? Uh, so typically there's about, oof, I'd say 50 probably lieutenants that are just coming into Space Command. Oh, and, I'm coming to one of these workouts. This is happening. Okay. This is make, going down. I'll make sure I'm leading that one specifically. <laughs> yes, totally. But it's awesome to just see everyone working out together. Yeah. And uh, 
I know that I did a good session when they're all complaining and say how much they hate me at the end. Totally. So I'm okay with them not liking it because that means it was a good workout. Well, and to be clear, they have to pass a PT test. How often is that? It depends. Okay. It's If you get a 90% or above, it's once a year. Um, but if you're below, you have to do it twice a year, so every six months. Okay. So everyone in the Air Force has to take this test. So... Uh, so yeah, 90 or above, you have to take it once a year, which, uh, brings me to <laughs> something I should talk about, uh, with the fitness test specifically, I have tried every year to get better, regardless of what the actual score was that I was getting. And a lot of people in my current unit think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So I feel you on that one. Um, take so, me through what the test is when you say score, what are we scoring? So the test is a measure of your waist. Your waist? They actually measure your waist. Not There's like a, your BMI or your body no, fat which or anything. I have some thoughts about how they measure our physical fitness Got aptitude. It. But they measure your waist. Okay. You do push-ups and sit-ups. Max reps, max reps. Yeah, they give you a minute and there's like a certain number you have to hit to get a certain score. Okay. Of push-ups and sit-ups. Okay. Then you end with a mile and a half run at the end. Out here on this this very track. Which, oh sweet. <laughs> so to be honest, uh, the push-ups and sit-ups and the waist have been okay for me. I don't really have to train for those. I think, oh, it's going to be one minute of suck, and I'm fine. Yeah. But the run is something that doesn't really come naturally for me, and I'm more of a long-distance person. Mm. So the mile and a half is pretty hard, and I do train for it specifically. So this last time around, I trained like as hard as I could, and I really wanted to get below 10 minutes for a mile and a half. That was my next goal. Every year I just bump up the time a little bit. So I trained for a couple months and I went hard and one of my friends, uh, Captain Hartenberg, actually paced me for my run while he was sick. He's a stud, by the way. Apparently. Stud runner. And uh, it ended up going really well. Mm. And I remember like crossing the finish line right over there and I was so happy. I had a couple tears come out. Um, I actually got a 942, which was the fastest I've ever run in a mile and a half. Nice. And just knowing that I could set a goal and achieve it is just so freeing. And I have, to, I have to keep setting goals for myself. What about that setting a goal, the process of dedication, discipline, you know, the work ethic, the drive, the motivation, all the things that's required to get to the actual accomplishment itself. What about that is freeing? knowing that I am capable as who I am right now to do whatever I put my mind to. But I think everyone has that within themselves. They ju- you just have to learn how to tap into that. And it's scary to start off with something not knowing if you're going to reach that goal. I started on the start line over there, and I was scared out of my mind. And no one even cares. But I was scared because <laughs> I knew that I could do it. I just put that pressure on myself to reach that goal. But knowing that I c- am capable of whatever goal I set, as long as I have the mental capacity to keep training towards that goal, which the mental part is literally the the biggest component of reaching any goal, I think. It's the best Um, part. Because a lot of people, the end part is easy, like, but people don't realize how much work goes into it that people don't see. Right. The training. That's right. The eating. Yeah. The everyday moments. Those are when you start building those habits. Mm Mm-hmm that are conducive to the rest of your life too. I mean, how you do the little things is how you do everything. Oh, that's spot on right there. And even if no one's watching, I'm mainly proud about the work that I put into that, that no one's looked at or ever saw. Absolutely. What's next? (laughs) That's a good question. I don't really know what I'm doing now. I started boxing just uh, to get some aggression out and I, I feel great when I'm boxing. I haven't actually gotten in the ring yet. My parents are pretty upset that I even want to fight someone. They're worried about, you know, my face getting a little bit messed up. But I don't know whatever. why they'd be surprised about this, but okay. <laughs> I'm sure they're not surprised. And yeah. whenever they say they don't want me to, it makes me want to do it even more. But Part of it is just to try new things because that's obviously who you are as a human, like deep at your core. Right. I, right? There's no comfort zone in your world, right? So it's like, okay, I, I've learned this sport thing, whatever the, the stuff is, I've learned it. Um, and I grew through that process and I accomplished some things. So what can I learn next? You know, being hungry, being hungry is a good thing, right? Not literally with food, right? <laughs> well, that's <But> like <laughs> hungry for knowledge and experience and like growing the depth of who you are as a person, your well-roundedness in the world. Right. And I, 
and I have no idea what I'm doing, that's when I learn, have learned the most about myself. And I do like trying new things, even though it's scary. But every time I do something different, I learn something different from either someone that's coaching me or about myself or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just love that experience. You know, I have friends here on base and they think very highly of you. You just last year received Vandenberg Air Force Base Athlete of the Year. I mean, what the hell's that? How many that was I mean, that's like insane. That that's, was a surprise to me. So, yeah. congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I did not expect that at all. And one of my colleagues who is just, uh, she's amazing and very selfless in every way, actually submitted me for the award without me even knowing about it. So, when I found out that I got this award, I was just, I was teaching. Mm -hmm. I got an email and it popped up on the screen on the PowerPoint. I went over to look and I thought it was a mistake at first and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I paused teaching for a second and I went back and I just <laughs> cried. I know, big surprise. Uh, so Lania Greener. I love that you're a super badass and you cry all the time. Like, not all the time, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the fact that you own that is awesome. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying I'm intense. So when I feel something, it, yes, it usually comes out in tears, happy or sad yeah, or yeah. mad. <laughs> But it's passion. It's like, right. it's an expression of who you are. Right. So you get the email and you're oh, like, yeah. I didn't know who submitted me, but I had two ideas and I eventually find out my colleague, uh, Captain Linnea Greener, who's one of my best friends, submitted me for the award and did it all without me even knowing about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a testament to the kind of people that I work with in the military and how and what we, they think about you. Right. And the fact that we take care of each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's so. not just about your athletic accomplishments. I mean, I read about it. It's not just that. Like, that's, okay, athlete of the year, what do you think? So that's, you know, some studly athlete who got, who's crushing races and doing things. There's more to that. Right. As and, is being the, in the Air Force. <laughs> right. And uh, so part of the reason that I think she wanted to submit me for the award is I went through some major life changes uh, during the time I was actually prepping for my competition so that I did not expect um, so I was actually engaged last year and uh, that engagement happened to be falling apart during the time I was uh, prepping for this bikini competition and uh, the person I was with at the time was not supportive at all so that was quite the burden let me tell you as I am prepping for this not knowing what I'm getting myself into and being uncomfortable physically because of the nutrition and the the working out and I pushed myself through that even know, knowing my personal life was kind of falling apart right mm. but it also gave me an avenue to focus on while I was going through that hardship and I just kept on trying to better myself even though I had that craziness happening in the background and I didn't really talk about it and what was really hard is teaching in the classroom and not talking about the personal stuff and keeping the fitness stuff on lock mm -hmm. while there's chaos in my mind but I knew I needed to be there for my students mm -hmm. and so I just kind of put all that to the side when I was in the classroom and I focused on them so also having that outlet was great I found that when I practice gratefulness or I help other people when I'm struggling it kind of helps me inside and I'm, I think other people might recognize that too mm -hmm. You know, my engagement ended up ending shortly after the competition and mm. he was not very supportive of me and didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing with getting on stage and pushing myself to that capacity. And that even furthered my learning experience during this to know oh, that like yeah. I support is great, but I could do it even without just with yeah, without the support. Um, luckily I had great friends, my family that were all very helpful during that time mm -hmm. but I also learned through that and I have never been so grateful to go through all that hard stuff at once mm -hmm. which is so funny because during the time you just feel like the world is ending and then now you know a year later I feel absolutely great and I, I know that I'm stronger because of it and I feel like I can seriously do anything, anything. <laughs> so I'm not so trying true. to say oh woe is me you know it was such a bad experience but like man my whole life was falling apart but I focused on that goal and I still completed it. And I do, this may sound corny, I just want to set a good example for, well, my siblings for one, and someday I would like to have kids. And I want, if I do have a daughter someday, to be able to look at things that I've done with my life and know that she can do whatever she sets her mind to. 
Yes. And I never really thought about it until I recognized my grandfather's story and how he, I never even met the guy, but he has influenced me in so many powerful ways without, and I've never met him. Yeah. So it's interesting for me to see how generations can affect. Yeah. He um, mentored you just in his existence, right? And then your parents and then your dad, I know was a really key part of your growing up and learning to really embrace sports. And like everybody gets opportunities to have um, mentors and you're mentoring now just by your existence. You've been doing it for years in just being who you are like being a person in society that's willing to put their self out there. This was fantastic and I do uh, look forward to some fun. I think we're going to have some adventures here and I want to thank you for your service. It's been phenomenal to get to know you and incredibly grateful and I know that our audience is grateful for your service. Well, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate the support, every single one of us, and I thank you for this opportunity and I hope that in, in some way I can help influence some people that may need to hear some of this stuff. Thank you once again. I'm humbled to have this opportunity to speak with you. So thank you. It's just the beginning. Let's do it. Yes, ma'am. Yes. (laughs) Thank you to Angela for inviting us down to Vandenberg and carving out so much of our time to tell her story with us. It was was a wonderful journey, and thank you so much. If you'd like to follow Angela online, her Instagram is at thatpizzagirl, or you can find her as Angela Silverbush on Facebook. And thank you for joining us on this adventure to Endurance Town, USA, where we chat with regular people living a truly inspiring endurance lifestyle. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe on your device now to hear more great stuff as it lands. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Endurance Town, USA for behind the scenes photos, videos and more. Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch you next time we go on this journey to Endurance Town, USA.